I didn't give up. I strived to get what was necessary to proceed. I got help from other people. And even though you're a mathematician or you're an engineer, I don't think it makes that much different if you got that strive. Hello, I'm Sue Nelson, and welcome to the Create the Future podcast, brought to you by the Queen Elizabeth Prize for Engineering, celebrating engineering visionaries and inspiring creative minds. Dr. Gladys West is a mathematician who grew up on her parents' farm in rural Virginia in the United States. It was a humble beginning, considering that decades later, her mathematical modelling of the Earth's surface paved the way for the 2019 Queen Elizabeth Prize winning engineering invention, the Global Positioning System. And during an extraordinary career, which encompasses teaching and working for the US military, Gladys was a pioneer in the use of complex maths and efficient programming that enabled many engineers to flourish. She also took part in an award-winning astronomical study that proved, during the early 1960s, the regularity of Pluto's motion relative to Neptune. And earlier this year, Gladys became the first woman to receive the Prince Philip Medal, the Royal Academy of Engineering's highest individual award. Gladys has a degree and master's in mathematics, a second master's in public administration, and she embarked on a PhD in public administration and policy on retiring at the age of 68. A stroke interrupted her progress, but she carried on after recovering and was awarded her degree aged 70. Now 90, Gladys is enjoying her legacy and her grandchildren, and I'm delighted to have her join us today, beginning by explaining her mathematical contribution to GPS. I got a job using the computers that were being developed at that time in my life, and we were so excited and happy because they were so big, and they could process so much data at a high speed and so forth and so on. So the, the math and the computers and GPS all would have gone hand in hand together as far as the solution and being valuable. So even though I wasn't aware, not to, to a certain extent, of what I was really producing, as a final product, I did know that I was using math and I was using geodesy and all, but just excited because we came out with GPS. Modeling the Earth's surface, why do we need to model the Earth's surface? Because we didn't really know what it looked like, how it reacted, where the forces are on it. You just didn't know enough about it to write up a set of intelligent equations for solutions. That just was a part of the problem that they were trying to solve at that time. And everybody knew about the problems, but uh, this was the first time they had a computer and all that was big enough to handle all the databases and satellite recording every time it goes around uh, the Earth and just little bunkers full of tapes of uh, satellite data. 
I mean, we never had had anything that 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 exciting before. Yeah, you said it was exciting. How long did it take you to write a, a program that would do this sort of work? It was done in stages by many people. I haven't counted them, but I can imagine over the time it was a few years to get all the all the work done, and you know, and we weren't the only organization that was working on it either. We were working with DMA and NRL and other places too. So it it just wasn't a simple thing that one person gets and do for a week or two weeks or something like that. So it was a real team effort. Yes. Uh-huh. And when did you discover a love for maths? Because growing up on a farm, you wouldn't automatically assume that, oh, a mathematician is born. <laughs> no. To tell you the truth, I didn't ever really discover the love for math. What happened was, when it was getting around high school time and you need to make t- make make up your mind about what you're going to major in and what you're going to you know, strive for when you go to, get to college. My teachers, I guess, had more influence in that area because they felt that I was doing all of my courses very well, and I didn't have any problem with my courses. And so they felt that, as advice, that I should uh, take one of the areas that I was good in, and uh, it was more difficult, and it provided a, more of a variety of jobs and all, rather than taking something that was easy. To, to like have fun, I guess. So your teachers saw your potential there. Yes. Were, yes. were your parents slightly disappointed that you didn't want to work at their farm or were they supportive that you were going off to do something different? I don't think that they were disappointed. I think they were happy that I was still striving to do better, to, to, to eventually be self-sufficient and you know be able to take care of myself and and to, to help them and all I, I think they still saw me as a bright light shining for them and and I'm still striving and I'm doing all right and you know I, I have I did I didn't step down below I still was stepping up and did they have a college education had they gone to university no, they, that was the sad part about it, I guess. But my mother was smart as she could be, and and she could read and write. And I, I, she didn't finish elementary school, I don't think. But during that time, schooling was very different. We we didn't even have buses to high schools and all that, so they didn't have the opportunity to go further than where they could walk to school. But but she was smart enough to know that she wanted me to do better, be better than she do, to be be what she couldn't be because she knew she was bright. And she, she mentioned to me one day uh, that when school opened and she couldn't go to school, she just cried all day because some of her friends went and she couldn't go. So, so she was geared in. She sort of made me, uh, I guess, more even, even more aware of, of the necessity of me going to school. It does bring out a bit of a determined streak in you, doesn't it? And a, a desire to do them proud. Yes, it made me know that 
I I I had to win. <laughs> I just couldn't be a failure. I I had to win because I was disappointed so many in the family and all, and myself. I couldn't imagine myself being married with two or three little children standing <laughs> waiting for me. <laughs> Now, your your parents couldn't afford a college education, but you got a scholarship to Virginia State College, which was a university which only took people of colour. And this was during the late 40s and early 50s. Did you ever feel lonely, the fact that there were so few women studying maths at that time? Or did you feel at home? And No, I didn't feel lonely, but the classes were small. So as long as I had one or two friends, I guess I was never excited about having a lot of friends and all. So that sort of suited my personality in a way. And we all were black at the college also. So there was no integration. Separation would have been uh, in terms of being with the educated professors and people who had education more than you did. That would, would have been the separator, I would think, if, if there had been something but but the kids were they were just having a good time (laughs) (laughs) and you had to pay your way through college and do jobs didn't you yes the scholarship paid all of my tuition but then I needed some other fees and all that needed to be paid room and board or whatever I have and uh, at the end of the first year I had gotten a job that allowed me to work at a professor's house for the rest of the money that I needed. So after the first year, I had no problems in money anymore because I you had to study to make a C average at least uh, with the scholarship, to keep the scholarship. And I knew that I was going to make that C average. I, I was working, working hard. And I always feel like a result of that was I didn't get to play as much because I knew that I was serious about never going back. And uh, in order to do that, I would have to work uh, to make sure that. And we came from a country high school also, which means that we weren't quite as prepared as kids were from uh, bigger high schools. And after your degree in, in maths, did you decide to do a master's immediately? No. After I got the degree, I taught for two years in a high school, I taught math and science in high school. But I think I mentioned I lived uh, with with some professors, a math professor and a physics professor. I met with them. I lived with them, and they were trying to tell me that the first job I shouldn't worry too much about because I should use it as a stepping stone, or can be used as a stepping stone to something that was more closer to what what I wanted, I guess. And so I I sort of took that advice, and I took the first job that was offered me, which was a teaching job in Waverly, Virginia, and I taught math and science. And uh, I stayed there for about two years, and I thought that felt about right. And uh, so I resigned and went back to Virginia State to get a master's, and I got a master's. Then at the moment I came out with a few, few other things that happened, I got hired at Dahlgren, Virginia, and that's where I sort of stayed. And this was the U.S. Naval Weapons Laboratory? Yes, yes, yes. 
So you were a programmer and a mathematician there. What sort of work did you have to do? I suppose it being a weapons laboratory, there's only so much you can tell me. (laughs) (laughs) What we would have to do would be to learn uh, the equations, the the theory and all of the problem that you're working on. And then they taught us how to lay out the design, we call it programming, how to lay out the logic to go through, to get through to the answer. You had to lay that out. And then there were... You, in order to talk to the machine, you had to learn a language to say things that it recognized. So that's called coding. So we, we, we learned how to lay out these programs, had them outlined in your head, and you could be walking around, and you could be still working on your, working on your work. It was exciting. It was, it was new for us, too, because we tell you the truth, we didn't know anything about computers before we came and, and nothing. We, we didn't even have a computer at our school before. So that means there was a long sort of climbing up the hill to get on board. But it was exciting and, there, and everybody else was excited about all the capability that we had. And so, you know, you didn't take any chances of not doing your best. So we did our best to get aboard and, and be able to program and code. It sounds like you really enjoyed it. How did you end up working on an astronomical study relating to Pluto and Neptune? I mean, that seems a sort of wow. Feel. Yeah, but, but, you know, if you knew the kind of organization it was uh, and that's what they were working on, you tend to see this other way that you are assigned to projects that are available at that time. And so I guess I just happened to be ready for a new job. <laughs> and I got to work on this Neptune and uh, Pluto thing. And, and the men who sort of designed it for us, too, they were more senior people. And, and I guess they probably wanted to give us uh, some kind of uh, experience and stuff, too. So they sort of put newer people with more seasoned people. Now, you know, we sort of touched on some of the, the, the race issues. Because you were working for the government, did that mean you couldn't take part in any civil rights protests at the time? Well, that's what we understood, that we, we could not do that. So we were very unhappy in, in the sense that, uh, you know, we could walk by the stores in Fredericksburg and we could see people sitting at the, at the counters and all and we don't know whether we should walk by, by or go another way or something because you didn't know how they felt about us and what happened to us. So we decided that we could help by just being us and, and being the best us that we could be and and uh, respect uh, those respect them and respect yourself what you're doing, but always you know like. Being favorable in a favorable sense, you don't don't negative and get in a big fight for something. You don't know quite what you're getting in, in for. Now, during the um, mid seventies and throughout the eighties, this is when you were working on using algorithms to account for these various forces, variation in forces that distort the Earth's shape, and that's quite interesting because. It wasn't that long ago when I discovered that you know the Earth is not 
a perfect sphere that it is a sort of wobbly, odd shaped <laughs> sort of yeah. globe. So, what mm-hmm. sort of forces were you examining? There's a variety of forces. Just you know, you know, the gravitational force and the shape and the big clunks here and there cause things to happen differently. And the tides, the water when it goes in comes out and all that. So we had special scientists who worked in in the force in particular force areas to make sure that we were understanding and getting it just right. And they all total up to one big force that caused the earth to wobble or not wobble. <laughs> and I read that you used an IBM 7030 stretch computer. <laughs> I'm not sure why they gave it the name stretch. <laughs> but <laughs> we liked it. It was an improvement over what we, we when we started. We had the, the NORC, the uh, N-O-R-C, the Naval Research Calcul- Ordnance Calculator. We had that. And then we got the stretch after that. So, I don't know, maybe, maybe that was a stretch. <laughs> <laughs> and, and were they these big, huge, size-of-a-house type computers? Yeah, these were, they were, these were computers that occupied rooms. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so and, and we didn't go down down to the next level unless they call you down there. You, you didn't get in the way of the computers and the men who... We, we had a whole... I had a group of people who maintained the computers and kept everything safe and, and just analyzed it, did all the troubleshooting. It was, it was a big operation because it was new. And now I guess we have a computer on our wrist and they can do as much as those big computers can do. One thing about the stretch and, and all those, they were big. They could process more data. They could do a lot of forces and all. But we were uh, still using machine language. We It was, I guess, at the bare minimum. You were using pluses and ones, and, and uh, which made it difficult, more difficult to program and code for it. But as uh, the stretch came, we... Uh, uh, it sort of like made a language, and and it wasn't Fortran. It was Fortran, and you sort of can code by sight. This one was a step below Fortran. It was an improvement over the very first one we had. You're right that it was called Stretch because it stretched the the known then the known limits in computers. <laughs> and at the time, it was the fastest computer in the world for a period of time in in the 60s so you were working right at the forefront of computing yes we were and you know your work modeling the earth has paved the way for gps and and this is you know hugely significant technology Mm -hmm. used all over the world by so many people every day. Do you think people realize how important mathematics is for engineers? Yeah, math is a powerful method of of doing things. Just understanding the math, you just can apply to other thoughts, other discoveries or other other way of looking at things. You know, if you if you got these equations that need to be inverted, you got to set up this huge, humongous 
list of data representing each one of the forces and all. And then you have to invert that. And you have to have in your mind, really, what is this that I'm handling? And being able to just follow that thinking while you're doing something else that the name may be a little different than what you think you're working on. It's mind-boggling in a way, but as you learn it, it becomes just a part of your way of thinking, where life is when you're working with, with the math. And math is always, I feel, so clean and logical and precise and have a lot of advantages uh, to using the math. And engineers, uh, a lot of times, use a lot of equations and all that's just right out of math. And what, what made you decide to study for a PhD after retiring? <laughs> I have to tell you the truth that I was studying for many years before then. I never gave up and never stopped studying. I always would, would look at my schedule and the, determine what it was that I could do at this time or what, what kind of free time that I had or what was the most important thing for me to do next. And uh, So I was always uh, taking some kind of a course and some kind of this. And then after you get to a certain point, you feel like if you want to come to an end and uh, you decide what you're going to do, what kind of degree you're going to get. Uh, if you go ahead and apply that, apply that, and rather than just study. So I had done all my coursework uh, before I retired and also gotten my title for my thesis approved. I have done just about, and got, got all, all, all the little things that needed to be swept up and cleaned up good. I had got all that done before I retired. So that I didn't have to go back and worry about the government. And are you still learning today? <laughs> I like to say no, but uh, I, we we are we having a hard, we're having a hard time with these computers now. <laughs> <laughs> and and looking back on your life, when so much has changed within science, technology, engineering, and and math since you started your career. What progress do you think is left to be made? Oh, dear. I, I would think there's so much that I couldn't even comprehend how it is because these computers today are just so powerful and people understand so much and things are so fast and, and everybody's getting to use me. It's becoming a way of life, the way you have to think. It's so much you can learn and be more prepared if you want to get into it, like going going to the moon and, and you know having a seat and come back home. It's, it's just powerful. It's so it's so much. I can't I can hardly imagine what's how ahead. I can, yeah, yeah. The possibilities are endless. Yes, it's just mind-boggling. And what, uh, what do you what, consider the highlight of your career? And you know, I keep changing my mind about the highlight. Uh, sometimes I think one wins, another time I think others. I would think first, I would think that when I got that college degree that I knew that I was ready. <laughs> but then when I start on the studying to c- continue on with my life, I feel like I wasn't so ready. <laughs> and now I, I'm just thankful for being able to 
to see the recognition that other people are giving me and how much I have affected other people. And to me, that is a big thing for me to see too, because it's hard to, hard to figure out exactly what you're striving for, which what you're trying to get out of this, what you know is something that you're working on. As a mathematician, how do you feel about being a role model within engineering? <laughs> I think my role modeling would be such that I didn't give up. I strived to get what was necessary to proceed. I got help from other people. For example, you know, to, to be hired in, uh, for the job for college and also getting a scholarship. I feel like the, the role model is so, was a lot, has a lot to do with applying yourself and working hard as you, you can and taking advantages that are available and believing yourself, even though you, you, you're struggling, you know you're down below, you still have to struggle. And even though you're a mathematician or you're an engineer, I don't think it makes that much difference if you got that thing to make you strive for what it is that you need at that time. Do you use GPS yourself? <laughs> I would say yes, but I I don't drive as much now uh, as I did before. So I'm only using it when my husband or, or, or son-in-law or somebody takes me somewhere, going somewhere, I use the same one that they're using on their car. <laughs> but it is fun when you're using it and you're driving. But I always said that I like to see, see, see more and know more uh, than what they tell me to turn right, turn left, and two miles turn this and that. When I get through, I got to add up all those pieces. <laughs> and congratulations, by the way, on the Prince Philip medal. The, oh, yeah. I thought know. that was great, too. <laughs> yeah. I was going to ask you how, you how you felt about getting that award. I was real proud of it. I guess I was proud of that one because um, it was in another country. I had been there to the country, and, and I knew a little bit about it. And so... I was real pleased with her, and I got to talk to her when she gave it to Princess Anne. What an honour, and uh, what an honour it is to have you on the Create the Future podcast. Dr. Gladys West, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. Find out more about the Queen Elizabeth Prize for Engineering by following QE Prize on Twitter and Instagram, or visit qeprize.org.